Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Arguing with a man who's renounced his reason is like giving medicine to the dead. Uh, welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, what's your favorite Jewish joke? Old <laughs> Jewish guy joke. <laughs> do, I, do I get special dispensation from the, <laughs> from the two Jews who are currently talking to me? You know, I got to say, one of my favorite Jewish jokes ever is one of Paul's favorites, at least. Um, and I even told it in a class. I don't know if, if I would get in trouble now for talking. We have young Jewish guy Paul Bloom joining us. <laughs> That's right. From the Ronald Reagan professor of psychology <laughs> at Yale best, University. That's the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> the young Jew who has a Ronald Reagan professor. Are you the... Re- <laughs> no, no, he's the Reagan something. I am a Brooks and Suzanne Regan <laughs> professor of psychology and cognitive science at Yale University. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Nancy Reagan passed away. Does that affect your, your, your chair? Not, not as much as you, you would expect. Yeah. David, do you have any good Jewish? Yeah. So this, one Rest from, in peace, this one's man. from Paul. He said, um, he said a, a rabbi and a priest are walking by a playground. Oh, for God's sake, Dave. <laughs> So this is okay. This one's okay. <laughs> when are we going to start for real? <laughs> Wait, now I just got to tell it to tell. Okay, it's, go ahead. It's, it's the one a rabbi, a rabbi and a priest are walking by a playground. And the, the priest goes to the rabbi. Hey, you want to screw some kids? And the rabbi goes, out of what? <laughs> <laughs> and so, to, as I recall, Paul said it was one of his favorite jokes because one, how short it is. And two, it manages to offend two of the world's major religions. And also, uh, we're, we're keeping radical structure at the end. It's very unusual in a joke. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> the, the, I, the double preposition. You know? I always and I always have to do my shoulders like a <laughs> out of what? <laughs> Speaking of things that are funny, like jokes. Today we are going to be doing a top five movie episode, which we did last time with Paul, and. This time, the topic is going to be our top five favorite philosophical comedies. Can I put in or psychological? Because I think or I, don't meet, I don't meet the criteria. <clears throat> yeah. This welcome, is, Paul Bloom, by the well, way. Welcome, Paul. Paul. As always, I'm honored to be here. You're the Paul Simon of our podcast, for, like for SNL. You know, he's yeah. one of those. It sounded sarcastic when I just said that, but really, I, I really am happy, happy to be here. You used to say that we were the best thing on the internet, but clearly now the Sam Harris 
you know, now that you've been on his podcast and you've kind of, I, I mean, I don't want to say broken up with us. Paul for, asked for know. an open relationship. We said it was okay. You're, you're the best obscure thing. on it. <laughs> <laughs> We said we were okay with an open relationship, Paul, but we did, but it was, we didn't really mean it. You know, we were just trying yeah. anything we could to hold on, you know, to mm-hmm. what we had still. You, you, you know, I, I had a great time with Sam, but this is my favorite podcast. Uh, oh. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for- hear that, Sam? Where's your God now? Or, or <laughs> not God now, Sam Harris? <laughs> um, can I ask a serious question? Because I was thinking about this as we were, as we were talking, we were discussing choosing comedies. Did you guys find it as challenging as I did um, to come up with good examples so my answer is I found a lot of great comedies. It was harder for me to find comedies that are actually funny. Well, so, yeah. so, so people, you know, some people on, on Twitter suggested a serious man, which right. is very philosophical. And if you go to Wikipedia, it says it's a comedy, yeah. but it's right. not funny. No, there are funny parts of it, but there it's not. I, yeah. And in fact, if we're going to talk about criteria, that was, that was a helpful one for me eliminating a movie. It had to be actually funny. Like I had to laugh a bunch of times in it for it to count on the list. You know, people recommended Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. (laughs) Again, it's just a fantastic movie, but not really a comedy. I mean, you know, deeply philosophical. But but actually Eternal Sunshine, I don't know why that's not just a drama. Yeah, more of a drama. Just a drama. Yeah. Yeah. Harry's in it, but... It's not, yeah. Okay, let's talk any more about criteria, like what you counted as philosophical or as like... I took to heart that that if I didn't think that the director's intentions were to elicit a laugh, a, like serious intention to elicit a laugh, um, then I wouldn't include it. Especially because I, I took the challenge seriously and I was finding it a bit hard to find comedies that met that criteria that were actually... The, so. So I said... Intention to elicit a laugh and at least some grain of, even if it's not the entire plot, some some link to a really interesting question there. Um, yeah, that was close to my, my criterion. Um, I wanted to stick with funny, and four of my five movies are funny. The fifth one, not so much. And also, there's an argument I once heard. I went to a conference on aesthetics, and that a movie could sometimes be a philosophical argument or, or contribution, not merely because it presents here's some philosophy, right. but rather you would point people towards that and get something out of the movie you wouldn't get by reading a, a paper right. or hearing yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I, I tried for that. I tried for, for some ways in which movies could express philosophical ideas or dilemmas in a vivid and interesting way. Yeah, I did too. And a lot of mine, I think, like I can point to uh, either a philosopher or some sort of philosophical problem that this movie tries to get to the bottom of. Speaking of movies like that, the one thing that we did not allow ourselves to do was put Groundhog Day on the list because then it would just be a top four episode because I think we would probably all have Groundhog Day. There's my dog. By the way, it's on Twitter. Thank you for, to that person, whoever that is, for setting up that account, Tamler's Dog. It's very funny. Uh, that's not you. That's not me. I know. That's the only problem is that people think it's me, which would be a kind of a narcissistic thing to do. Well, that, that's why they think it's <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I that, don't know why that's a counter. That was a batting practice fastball right there. I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> let's but let's talk about Groundhog Day. Why I think that is kind of a perfect choice for this list. What do you guys think is the you know the philosophical themes going on in Groundhog Day? Didn't somebody talk about eternal reoccurrence or something? <laughs> Some Someone may have mentioned that a German. Yeah. <laughs> Groundhog Day is actually, among many other things, an example of a particular theory of the origins of the imagination, which is by running things through on a trial basis, you get to modulate your behavior in the future. So this is what dreams are for, or imagining things are for, or even what our pleasure of fiction is for. You get to try things out in the safety of your head. And Groundhog Day is sort of an example of a man who gets to keep trying and trying and trying and then resetting as he becomes kinder and more efficient in life. That's one example. Yeah. And I had a similar take on this, but more focused on on the ethical aspect, which is to me, this is it's a great example of someone trying to build their character explicitly with a with a basically with a cheat code. Right. So so you, you get to play God mode yeah. and you get to try everything. And he tries sort of to be egoistic at first. Then he tries to be, interestingly, purely altruistic. So he tries to just save everybody. Yeah. And and that doesn't quite I mean, effective it, altruist. He tries yeah. To be. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's not quite where he lands. He lands on some balance. So to me, it's a very Aristotelian sort of yes. virtue. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's that was my take. I always show it in class, especially if I'm teaching a summer class and we can watch the whole movie. I show it right after the virtue ethics segment because there's just a couple elements of virtue ethics that it has. By the end, when he finally gets it right, not only is he doing the right thing, but he takes pleasure in doing the right thing. And that's a very right. Aristotelian idea. Like it, fe- yeah. it, it feels good to do the virtuous thing. That's number one. And then uh, number two is just how much habit, repetition, education it takes t- to get to that point. Right. S- somebody estimated that it was 30 years, that, that he lived 30 years of no. that day. I, I've seen yeah. estimates that were in the thousands of years because he had to we, – we can look this up, but I thought it was yeah. way more. There's, there's way debate. more than there's, 30 there's years debate because he had to he had to learn the piano. He had scholars disagree. <laughs> scholar Groundhog Day scholar. Yeah. And, and I'm not even sure I saw 30 years. Maybe it was 300 years or 3000 years with something with a three in it. <laughs> so. So, yeah, I, I think Groundhog's Day is one of those rare movies that I found no other movie that did this as well that in a really really funny movie where the point of the plot is the philosophical idea it it made you laugh why basically made you laugh by giving us a particular philosophical idea that's like, right it 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 wasn't just a sort of like open interpretation or a side effect of the funniness or you know i didn't have to i guess one way to say it is i didn't have to do much work to find the philosophy in it no and, and i think that you know there's also a lot of sort of Buddhist parallels. I think people will find different, you know, the imagination, the idea of trying things out in your imagination that Paul is not something that occurred to me. But, yeah. you, there, you know, you take that one little gimmick and it's kind of a gimmick and you really open up a lot of philosophical ideas and and it's and it's great. And, and there's an implicit theory of morality here, too, where the guy starts off as a jerk and yeah. the idea is. Given enough time and experience, we will gravitate towards yeah. because that's where your eudaimonia lies. That's where your true happiness lies. Yep. Is in being yep. a good person. 
Again, it's basically, it's basically an expansion of Josh Nob's work. <laughs> that's, that's what I always say about that's, Groundhog Day. <laughs> I think that's how Harold Ramis saw it. <laughs> it anticipated it. Yeah. You know, I will say this also, and I think we might have mentioned it when we were talking about this in our personal identity movies. Or, um, but it would have completely ruined it if they had tried to give us an explanation of what was going on. Yes. Like, had they given us, you know, all of a sudden you have this. This thought that as he peaked as a person, as his character reached the most, like the peak of virtue, that that's when all of a sudden the next day came. Um, but it would have totally ruined it had we known, you know, a witch put a curse on him and, you, yeah. know, you know, until he's a good man, he won't, he, right. right? Like Beauty and the Beast or something. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, no, I agree. It's great that you never find that out and you never care. Like there, at no point right. are you asking yourself, for all you budding filmmakers out there, <laughs> yes, this is a good. Don't over-explain things. It's much more interesting that um, that yeah. uh, this way. All right, should we oh, get to yeah. our own lists? Yeah, let's go. All right, you want to go first? Uh, uh, big, yeah, Big Lebowski. Nice. Yeah, uh, I didn't put it on my list because I knew it would be on one of them. Yeah, I, I, that's, I didn't too. Yeah, yeah. The same reason. <laughs> Well, it's good. I, I, I did because I knew you two wouldn't. <laughs> we, would, we would defer to you. This is yeah. like some heavy game theory shit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so low-hanging fruit. Uh, uh, but it, it's, an, it's among other things. First thing, it's a screamingly funny movie. Um, oh, my God. And, and the, it, it, it can be seen as an exploration of different ways of living. So you have, of course, the dude who, as a sort of stoner Buddhism, um, you know, the dude abides – yeah. The main character, you know, mellow stone, trying not to worry about things. And then uh, you, you have his friend. Um, is it uh, Walter? Walter. Walter. You know, who who is, is this hilariously intense character who... Um, uh, converted, is, converted Jew. Converted Jew and everything, <laughs> and represents this alternative way of life in which, which I think sort of having a cause and caring about things... Is, is extremely important. There's this classic yeah. line, which I, I scooped up, where they're talking about some people they're about to, to fight with, and some of the characters, a Donnie, says they're Nazis. <laughs> and and watch well, this, it's even worse. They're nihilists. Man, they Come were on. nihilists, man. Huh? They kept saying they believed in nothing. Nihilists. Fuck me. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. He's got this like a passion that just is, can trigger at the slightest provocation. You know, this anger, this kind of just intensity. So, okay. So Walter cares way too much. Yes. But in a way that's right. almost insincere. He's just looking for things to care about, maybe. Um, you know, it, it feels a little weird. Over the line. He's, he's taking, <laughs> he's taking on the cause. It's a league game. <laughs> league game, Shaggy. But not Nam. There are rules. This is all, it's always bothered me that I think that in Tamler, maybe we've talked about this, but, but I think that the dude is erring in the opposite direction. That is, yeah. he's a loser. He's a complete, like there's, it's not Zen. It's just giving up. Yeah. On Seinfeld, when George starts wearing sweats, it's like you're, telling, <laughs> you're telling the world that you've given up. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also it just what because he fails to sort of take any kind of stand, everything just gets spins further and further out of control. So there is a bit of that. But if anybody can roll with the twists of fate, he can. 
And weirdly, the whole plot is driven by his random caring about that fucking rock. Yes. <laughs> it's like this only thing he cares about. <laughs> Ties the room together. When everything he does have an ability to just no matter how bad things are getting or how crazy things are getting and stressful the situation, he, he whines. It's not like he doesn't react, yeah. but he just doesn't take anything too hard. <laughs> right. 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 And then and then you have the the, the big Lebowski who who also yeah. has lived a life of caring, but by the rules in a very sort of orderly way. And you just see that it, that's empty at, at the bottom of that is emptiness. So, I mean, I feel like the Coen brothers are arguing for this kind of life, but I can't help but feel this despair when he's writing a check for however many cents to like, yeah. get, his, get his cream. There's a line at the beginning where it says he's a man of his time, something like that, which is also kind of – he does kind of capture like the millennials, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Without the Uber obsession. All right, great pick, Paul. Uh, okay. Definitely would have been on my list had it not been for the Obvious. fact that I... Can I go next? Because yeah, I think it's th absolutely. thematically related to this um, is Office Space. Uh, good call. Yeah. I actually just rewatched. I've seen this movie a ton of times, and every time it gets funnier to me. Um, lots of quotables, cult hit. But also centrally, sort of central to the plot is that the main character, Ron Livingston, um, played by Ron Livingston, is hypnotized to not care. So he's leading this life of just, you know, cubicle work at an office. If anybody's ever done that, you know how just how much despair is, is inherent in that. Um, and he goes to a therapist, a hypno, hypnotherapist, who, who hypnotizes him to not care, presumably only temporarily, but then has a heart attack before he can get him out of the, of the um, hypnotic state. And then he just doesn't give a fuck. And ironically, he gets promoted um, and achieves all the success because he, he he actually doesn't give a fuck and he shows that and his <clears throat> and I think that the central idea here is some sort of maybe slightly more positive argument for just not caring that much about you know there's this sort of despair of a nine to five life or, or everything you know there's this Sisyphean feeling that you get and the way to deal with this is just don't care that much no just don't care. Right. Yeah. So the dude's solution is to just not do that life. Right. This guy's solution, since that's not an option, is to just not care, to make himself not care. Right. And they both have this sort of let life happen to you rather than try to make things happen. Right. Um, attitude. The other thing I love about this movie is, as I was rewatching it, is the, <laughs> the, there is the ethics of the scheme that they concoct, which is uh, the Superman 3 plot to steal... Of the, as, right, as the, excess pennies from yeah. bank accounts. So, so every time there's a transaction that involves interest, they there are fractions of a cent. Right. And so usually they just round it up. We'll just round it down and put that in an account. And he gets in this conversation with the Jennifer Aniston character, the, the woman he's dating from Chashkis, <laughs> um, where he tries to explain it. And she's like, so it's stealing. And he's like, no, 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 I don't think you're understanding my the scheme. Right. You know, these are just, you know how there's take a penny, leave a penny trays. You know, we're just taking fractions of a penny from like millions of jars. And she's like, so it's money. It's not yours. You're taking it. How is that not stealing? And part wow. of me struggle. I'm like, no, he has a point. There's no victim. So That's it's a challenge to utilitarianism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like that movie, but I honestly, because it came out right when I was probably at my peak of liking hip hop and rap and 
So I would play it, and then everyone would say to me, hey, have you seen Office Space? I'd say, yeah. <laughs> They'd say, you remind me of that guy, you know, the guy who would just, like, crank it up in his whatever <laughs> Ford Fiesta. And, and then, then lock the door on black guys walking by. <laughs> so, <laughs> So um, that so that pissed me off about that movie. So fuck that movie. You know, it's a great movie and it has some great lines. And but also as a sound the soundtrack is a is considered a classic in hip hop gang, sort of gangster rap soundtrack. Um but I I want to point out <laughs> this one line in keeping with the Nazi theme. Um you know, Jennifer Aniston go works at this stupid restaurant like Chili's or something. It's called Chachkis and they have to wear these pieces of flair. I'm just talking about fractions of a penny here okay but we do it from a much bigger tray and we do it a couple of million times so what's wrong with that i don't know it just seems wrong it's not wrong inatech is wrong inatech is an evil corporation all right tchotchkes is wrong doesn't it bother you that you have to get up in the morning and you have to put on a bunch of pieces of flair yeah but i'm not about to go in and start taking money from the register well maybe you should you know the Nazis had pieces of flair, but they made the Jews wear. What? You love those Nazi just Nazis. So I, I had sort of a, a tie for my fifth movie. I was gonna pick Defending Your Life by the Albert Brooks. Albert movie. Brooks. And then I was gonna mention Lost uh, Lost in America, which is Another great movie and actually has very strong ties to those first two picks. It's about somebody who's dissatisfied at his job and feels like, you know, what's the point of just doing this day in and day out? He works for an advertising. So he's just going to quit like the dude. Um, and he's going to live in a motor home with his wife and just drive the country and touch Indians, he says. They're going to touch <laughs> Indians. That just goes awry. Like, it's fun and exciting at first, and then they go to Vegas, and it turns out that the wife has a bit of a gambling prog- problem, and, and, and they sort of ends up back where he started, but this time in New York rather than L.A., and at a slightly lower sal- salary. It's, it's, a, it's this idea of, my, I, need, I can't, this routine, it's pointless, it's purposeless. I, I, I've got to just do something exciting and I, and I can, I can conquer the world. They, they had this idea of being like Kerouac. And then you just realize that you can't do that for your whole life. You know, the dude does do that for his whole life, but yeah. most people can't and end up back to that same routine, the same boulder pushing up the same hill. For listeners who haven't seen Albert Brooks, I feel like there probably are some. Those movies are, are, are fantastic. And he's got a bunch of other good ones as well. And they're actually they're actually very funny. They're, they're, very there's funny. a scene there's a scene in that movie where after his wife loses all of their money, he goes up to the casino owner and sets up a meeting and he says, "I have this great idea. Why don't you give back the money?" As the boldest experiment in advertising history, you give us our money back. I beg your pardon. Give us our money back. That's 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 the campaign. Watch the campaign. You gave my wife and I our money back because you reviewed our situation and you realized that we dropped out of society and we, we, we weren't just gamblers and we made a mistake and you gave our money back. Do you know you couldn't get a room in this place for 10 years? Then everybody will want their money back. All the gamblers will say, hey, go to the Desert Inn and get our money back. Not gamblers. You, no, you keep 
all the money. It's just that, that, that my wife and I aren't gamblers. That's what I'm saying. That's the distinction. My wife and I represent the few people, and I'll tell you something, there's probably nobody else that's ever going to come and have this happen. So really, probably, we're the only two. We represent the people who have, who have taken the chance, and we made a mistake, and then the Desert Inn corrects it and, and gives it back. There is a warm feeling here. But you don't think everybody then will want their money back? No, 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 no. It doesn't go well. <laughs> no. Gary, that's Gary Marshall, the actor who he... Oh, that's right. The director, um, Gary that's Marshall, right, is right. that actor, and it's a great... The Desert Inn has heart. It's like, <laughs> the Desert Inn has heart. <laughs> it's such a great... That's There's so many little scenes like that. I'm going to continue the theme, then. I'm going to jump, uh, change my order a bit, and go for Shaun of the Dead. Because uh, it's, it's a reference to Office Space. Uh, it, it's a, a, a comedy, obviously a takeoff of Dawn of the Dead, a zombie comedy. Um, according to Wikipedia, it spawned imitations. There's a, a Cuban film called One of the Dead and a Singaporean film called Shuan of the Dead. <laughs> I, I am not kidding. Anyway, the idea is, of course, it's, it's a standard zombie film played for comic effect of these, these you know, innocent people trapped when it pe- their neighbors turn to zombies. <laughs> but the running joke is that it's hard to tell the zombies from regular people. <laughs> and we, we see a scene early in the movie where the, the, the comic actor, uh, Sean, is, uh, is going through his daily routine, mindlessly eating cereal, zoning out in front of TV, shambling from room to room. <laughs> And it's in that way, similar to office space, a meditation on a life maybe that is not properly lived. Yeah. That's a great pick. I didn't think of uh, any of the Edgar Wright movies, but that one especially I think is a perfect pick for this list. Yeah, it's so so good. Part of his little Cornetto trilogy. Um, And I'm going to put another plug in for this this wonderful video essay um, from the Tony Zhu um, film blog. Um, every frame of painting that just oh I, I love that blog it's so good and he has one on on uh, Edgar, Edgar Wright's uh, use of sort of just visual comedy okay all right good pick so that's yeah. uh, we're now to to Dave so I let's switch gears I feel like we have to talk about this one so and it's on my list I, I don't really have an order to these but um but Doctor Strangelove. Okay. I mean, we, uh, yeah. yeah. So this was one where I thought it would be on somebody's list, but I just put it on mine. Um, Good, because I didn't put it on for that. Series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it almost feels like a Groundhog's Day, like where it just had to be on the list. Um, but you know, one one of my favorite analogies that Steve Pinker borrowed from the movie was was this idea of pre commitment and the doomsday yeah. machine. And uh, there is something just so nice about like this little game theoretic problem that is solved by an atomic bomb being automatically launched whenever you you see an an attack coming, and there's just nothing to change, right? So there's there's so much, and I you, you should, well I'll put a link up to to Steve Pinker's chapter, the Doomsday Machine, um, because he really uses this as a great uh, as a great metaphor for what emotions are like, really building on Robert Frank's work, um, who is going to be on our podcast. Uh, yeah. Look at that. The quality of intellectuals were, uh, <laughs> were willing to start. were willing to lower. <laughs> but but I just wanted to bring it up. I, let's just leave it. To, I want to hear what you guys think. I mean, there's so much in this movie that's great. But, but yeah, I mean, so there's. It shows also that the commitment devices don't work unless they're signaled. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's the big failure. The huge failure was you didn't tell us. The premiere like surprises. 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go for a dissenting view here. I think it's a great choice philosophically. I never yeah. found a movie funny. Yeah, what? I found, I okay, know. I quit. I'm out. I'm I not know. Doing this. I never. I it, it's it just doesn't do it for me. I you know I I don't I don't have that strong a feeling about the question as to whether it's funny. But it's entertaining. It's entertaining. I, I find it very entertaining. The scenes with Sterling um, Hayden. Are I you la- kidding I mean, me? I and I got to say, Peter Peter Sellers' shtick as Doctor Strangelove is yes. not that funny to me. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I have another Peter Sellers list movie on my yeah. list, and it's not going to be funny either. So, right. No, I All right. So, I know what that is, but um, yeah. Peter Sellers <laughs> as the British guy who's with Sterling Hayden, trying to talk sense in him. I think that's a very underrated part of his performance people love him as dr strange love because of the arm thing and i think it's still funny but um and then also as the president but um the i i think that maybe his funniest role is as the straight man to sterling hayden jack listen tell me tell me jack when did you first become well develop this thing well i uh I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. Huh. Yes, a, a profound sense of fatigue, a feeling of emptiness followed. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, I was able to interpret these feelings correctly. Loss of essence. Huh. I can assure you it has not recurred, Mandrake. Women, uh, women sense my power. They seek the life essence. I do not avoid women, Andre. Yeah. But I, I do deny them my essence. <laughs> yes. I, I love that movie philosophically. Yeah, I mean, it, there's that. That's why there's that that idea in there is of the pre-commitment device. Yeah. You know, um, actually, Paul, when it comes to slapstick, he prefers Mr. Bean. Uh, Bean, Bean nearly made it on my list. <laughs> oh my God. I, I think slapstick is itself intellectually and philosophically interesting, but it wasn't quite a category. When you put in a lot of work mentally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the greatest comic slapstick character ever is played by Peter Sellers, the um, Inspector Clouseau. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, uh, Maybe the Stooges. Went. Stooges, yeah. I don't find them that funny. No, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't age well. Com- comedy, comedy. It, it's hard to see a comedy from a while back and find it funny. I don't know why that's so. Well, yeah, some of those screwball so, comedies from the '30s and '40s are pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, they, they make me smile. Yeah. So would, would Ch- Chaplin? Uh, Chaplin's sort of slapstick, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. physical humor, and, and Buster Keaton did it really, yeah. really I mean, yeah. amazingly well when he was young. But, yeah. I, I, and, I, and I think they totally hold up. In fact, we may see a Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin movie <laughs> a little <laughs> later on. Actually, let's right. just go to it right now. For once, I didn't really put much thought into ordering it. Um, so Charlie <laughs> Chaplin's movie, Modern Times, mm-hmm. is yeah. if you are teaching a class on Marx or where Marx is in the class, it would be almost like a fireable offense not to make them watch Modern <laughs> Times. Because <laughs> A, it's very funny, but it also takes very literally the kind of Marxist idea that property owner, the factory owner, the, the people in power 
view the workers as machines, as appendages. And there's this great scene when Chad Chaplin was he 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 did this intentionally where he actually gets sucked into the machine and he's into the gears um and you know it's a it's a perfect image for that marxist idea of seeing other human beings just as means to increase your profits and there's that great scene at the beginning where they're trying to have them work while eating like this machine that they are using yeah has to actually feed themselves and so and that takes away from their efficiency so so they build another machine to try to make it so that the workers don't even have to stop for lunch they can eat while they work and <laughs> um and it, and it's great and it's also very sweet it's got a beautiful ending just a f- beautiful ending shot it's an amazing movie it's i think it's probably of his my favorite either that or city lights and very philosophical in examining these kinds of Marxist socialist themes. You know, it's interesting that, that that this theme of technology, which I think was really well done in Metropolis, um, the Fritz Lang movie, that, that you that you can make an effective comedy sort of communicating a very similar thing, where one is be- also beautiful and but but very bleak, um, and Metro- you know you can make a comedy expressing it, and yeah. I almost think Modern Times is a, is a better expression of that feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, and so you know what's what, another one? Playtime, the Jacques Tati movie. Um, that's not about oh, that's not yeah. Marxist, but it is about this kind of modern version <clears throat> of Paris. It, it, it takes place in Paris, and and a tour group actually coming to Paris, and you just never see, except like in a reflection, any like any of the famous Paris beautiful landmarks. <laughs> it's just this steel. It falls into the broader category of dystopian comedies. Br- yeah. Br- Brazil, I think, was listed. Okay, let's talk about it because that's on my list. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, so, do you want to yeah. jump, jump ahead? Yeah. So yeah. let's just talk about Brazil. So this is another one. That, it's a weird movie. It's a comedy and there there is actually slapstick in it. Yeah. It, it, but if you started to watch it, you wouldn't think there's a comedy. It opens up with one of the most harrowing scenes of sort of Big Brother, you know, guys grappling in yeah you know destroying the the upstairs apartment to get in and and basically they're they're taking the wrong guy um and it's 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 less of a lament of the beautiful sort of machine that takes away our humanity and it's more i think a dystopia pointing to how inefficient human beings are so in some sense i think that it's giving the opposite scenario which is no matter how complex technology gets humans will always be there to fuck it up and when you actually look the, at the the beautiful art design that went into the movie brazil you see the origins of what we call now call steampunk yeah. aesthetics but it's it's the most inefficient way you know it's like a huge old school typewriter um connected to a video terminal and and they do that as as a you know it's that's that right there embodies the stupidity of human beings and the inefficiency of it, no matter how efficient we get, there will always be layers of bureaucracy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It has a very Kafka, you know, like Kafka's trial kind of element of yeah. once you get caught in this system and the system, it's so depersonalized everything that there's no way to correct it. it in some ways, it's kind of prophetic. I, you know, customer service now has gotten to that point, <laughs> like Brazil, that you, you feel like that. You feel that frustration um, that there's it, never a person who's actually take, can take accountability for it. It's always right. just some other layer of bureaucracy. So I don't want to give it away, but the ending in some way 
ruins it as a comedy for me. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, it's, it's a dark comedy. Yeah, it's a dark comedy, but there are laughs in there. Yes, and there are there laughs. Are in there. Intentional laughs. Um, but you know, talk about a a sort of analog. It's on the TPS reports in Office Space are just to me a different version of the the whatever forms that the yeah. bureaucrats have to fill out. And you see this. Uh, what's his What's his name? No, the British actor that was in Roger Rabbit. Oh, oh, uh, the, the the short guy. Uh, that, yeah, the that, short Bob guy. Hoskins. Sort of, Bob, Bob Hoskins. Hoskins. Yeah, Bob, Bob Hoskins and his par- his partner are these like. You know, they're like a Mario and Luigi sort of fixers of things. Yeah. And they come in to fix um, Jonathan Price's air conditioning. And he says, he's trying to get them away because, you know, it's inconvenient for him to have them there. And he says, did you fill out the whatever, whatever form? And they just go insane. They go insane because the minute you bring up this bureaucracy and the paperwork that they ought to be doing that they haven't done, they just lose their shit. And that's how I feel about forms and bureaucracy. And and it just makes it much worse. Like I think you know the the woman who's trying to fix who's trying to get a facelift, and it ends up just <laughs> like you know just destroying her face essentially. And that's what happens to his apartment. Is like yeah. he he calls to get a minor repair, and by the end, there's just like his entire right. yeah. apartment is 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 destroyed. Visually stunning, though. I mean, it's it's one of the most original sort of and and ripped off. You know this this sort of style of re- they called it retro fu- retro futuristic, um, where you realize that it's in the future, but there's so much nostalgia there. It's this really an Art Deco-y yeah. um, kind of aesthetic mingled with ducts, <laughs> just duck, duct, duct, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Central service. Central services. Oh yes. You rang, sir. You rang, sir. Trouble with your air conditioning. Air conditioning, sir. Uh, no, it's 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 uh, all right. It's, um, it's fixed. Fixed? Fixed? Yes, um, I mean, it, um, fixed itself. Oh, it fixed itself? <laughs> fixed itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> These don't fix themselves. Well, they don't fix themselves. <laughs> back to very bad wizards uh before we get back to our list we just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody who's offered us support whether by emailing us we got a lot of great tweets um so thank you to everybody for tweeting us at very bad wizards going to our facebook page um emailing us um if you want to support us in more concrete ways you can go to our support page verybadwizards.com slash support there you can just shop on Amazon um, and we'll get a little cut. Thank you, everybody who's done that. 
uh, or you can donate to us via PayPal. And one thing that we just wanted to say, our Very Bad Wizards t-shirt, which has been very popular, uh, so thank you to everybody, again, who supported us by buying that. We're going to end the campaign, um, so there are only a few more t-shirts that have to be purchased before everybody who's ordered gets them delivered. So if you're interested in getting our Very Bad Wizards t-shirt version one, uh, go ahead and go to teespring.com slash verybadwizards, place your order. We're going to pull it in a couple of weeks. Um, so if you want to get this version of the t-shirt, now's the time. And again, thank you for everybody's support. And we're really pulling it this time because we want to do That's it. right. We're working on, on a new design. Yeah, we're going to hopefully set up a Patreon account fairly, fairly soon. We really thank you guys also for rating us on iTunes. We've gotten a ton of good, really good, funny ratings lately. And and thanks for tweeting us and putting on our Facebook page all your suggestions for this list because it was really helpful. I, if it hadn't been for somebody mentioning Defending Your Life, I don't think I would have put on those Albert Brooks movies and a lot of the movies that we were talking about today were mentioned. All right, let's get back to the list. Paul. So I'll shift gears a bit and get into a bit of metaphysics. Uh, I love Will Ferrell movies, but <laughs> but there are not many, uh, you know. <laughs> that sentence has never been uttered. <laughs> Shifting gears into metaphysics. I love Will Ferrell movies. <laughs> well, you know, I'd love to talk about Step Brothers or Anchorman or Talladega Nights, but there's no <laughs> philosophy in it. I really think. On the other hand, he has a, a movie, Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, uh, you, you'd be forgiven for not seeing it. It wasn't that big, but the idea—the idea which I found very compelling—is he's this normal guy, and he hears a voice, and the voice is of somebody narrating his life, and then he comes to discover that he is himself a <laughs> fictional character, and and the big, in some way, the, the the big turning point is when he realizes this, but he doesn't know whether he's in a comedy or a tragedy. <laughs> and he, so he doesn't know whether or not he's going to die. And in some way, this is like, it, obviously, movies like The Matrix and, and many others explore it. Uh, the idea that the world is not what we think it is. But the idea of being a fictional character yeah. is, I think, very moving and compelling and kind of weird, stripping you of your agency. And, and, and it, it's, it's a wonderful thought experiment. Yeah, it's different than like the Truman Show kind of idea That's because right. there he's not scripted. Like the whole point of it is that it's a reality show. Right. That's right. right. He's, he hasn't lost his agency. You know, there's a there's a great sci-fi book called Red Shirts. I don't know if you've ever come across it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's all about discovering that you're actually a character in a Star Trek movie. Yes. <laughs> or in a Star Trek TV show. Um, don't roll your eyes, Tamla. It's a great, it's a great book. It's a great book. But yeah, no, you know, I forgot I watched this movie. Yeah, I, yeah well, you'd be forgiven for forgetting <laughs> it. <laughs> is it a comedy? Is it funny? Well, that's that's the question. It had Will Farrell in it. It's in some way like Jim Carrey doing Eternal Sunshine, which is, you know, it's a comic actor trying to do a more dramatic role. Yeah. But it is somewhat it is somewhat of a comedy. Yeah. It, and Will Farrell, unlike Jim Carrey, can't help but be, be funny. Yes, Will Farrell has a is has a yeah. funny body. He's a very he's a big guy <laughs> who who sort of stumbles into the world with mm-hmm. some sort of passive aggressive humor. Unless it's uh Talladega Nights and then he's just <laughs> all aggressive. Uh, <laughs> or what's that one that I really like? Oh, Blades of Glory. I think Oh, <laughs> that was Was that the one of Sasha Baron Cohen? No, that's Talladega. 
Talladega, Sasha Baron Cohen is very funny in, in Talladega yes. Nights. He, he plays yeah. the French, like Kim. He's reading The Stranger during the race. Why did you stop the jazz music? Was it not pleasant for you? No one plays jazz here at the pit stop, okay? So why is the song on the jukebox? We keep it on there for profiling purposes. We also got the Pet Shop Boys and Seal. My name is Jean Girard. And I am a racing car driver just like you. Except I am from Formula E. I am the greatest one in the whole world. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, what, one last thing about Will Ferrell, or maybe the last thing. Um, when I was thinking about what makes him compelling... There is a there is an innocence to him yeah. and his, the characters he portrays that's yes. really hard to fake. I he's sincere. He's he's funny and sincere at the same time and you just really you know like his performance in Elf. You know, yeah. it's all comedy but it's just the joke is that he's so sincere. Or Anchorman. <laughs> yeah, and Anchorman you know, he, he's a sincere asshole. He's, he's an asshole kind of, but he's yeah. very honest so he, he, he couldn't imagine anybody would question his, his, right. his way. Of That's it. right. He doesn't play people that are like trying to hide who they are. That's right. right. And then I guess I, it's stranger than fiction I don't totally remember his character that well. I don't I don't, I don't remember that well either. Yeah. Yeah. No. I just love a, the idea. Yeah, it is a very cool idea. Yeah. Um should we skip to me, Dave, because Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I have a another pairing. For this one, this is my. You cheat so much. You can't. Can you just? <laughs> These are the two Martin McDonough movies: Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. If you want me to pick one, I'll pick Seven Psychopaths. Um, I enjoyed it, Seven Psychopaths. That's that's I, a surprising yeah. choice. I love yeah. Seven Psychopaths. It's like a friend to me. I've probably seen it like it's one of those movies that you you can see over and over again, and you like like The Big Lebowski. Um, Paul and by Lawrence. the way, Office Space, which I didn't say much about your dismissal of it, but Office Space is one of those over and over again. You can watch. It. I didn't dismiss it. I, I <laughs> let you talk about it for like 20 minutes and then made a self-deprecating remark about it. <laughs> Self. Yeah, you, 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 you rolled your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Go, I go do think you. it's a little overrated. <laughs> I, I, uh, my, I didn't. Yeah. Nothing I said uh, <laughs> indicated. <laughs> Don't worry, I picked up on it. Um, okay, improve. we know each other too well. Then <laughs> yeah. uh, are these are so, these proper comedies? So Seven Psychopaths is very funny. I mean, if you just go by how, uh, yeah, it's it's a. So here's what the ways in which I think it it has some deep philosophical themes. It's about a writer who is is writing a, a screenplay about psychopaths, and all he has is the title Seven Psychopaths, and. <laughs> Wants to make it about psychopaths because that's sort of his job. That's what's going to sell tickets. But he wants them. The only idea he has is about a Buddhist psychopath who ends up not who doesn't kill anybody. And and gradually his life turns into the movie that he's writing in absurd kind of literal ways it's this idea of trying to, A, push against what it is that you take to be your job or what you think will be the most effective means to an end. But also, I take the, the, one of the messages of the movie very seriously, which is we tend to romanticize, you know, immoral, violent things that are foreign to us. And he definitely glamorizes psychopaths. And there's a line that Christopher Walken says at the end where you're the one who thought we were so interesting. 
I, I forget <laughs> the actual line. It's like, actually, you know, psychopaths can get pretty tiresome after a while. And I worry about that with, uh, you know, my work on honor and honor cultures, you know, wanting to guard against romanticizing them too much because they're kind of and they're, they're kind of cool you know there's something very yeah. cool about honor cultures people are fascinated by psychopaths in a way that i'm, I'm not sure they understand what a what a real psychopath is like i mean they're they're just bad horrible people that leave nothing but a trail of ruin behind them in in my like moral reasoning seminars people they all want to do a paper on psychopaths at the end that's yeah. their choice yeah so i i was i Earlier today, I was having an email dialogue with a philosopher talking about uh, the psychopath who has moral judgments but no moral sentiments, <laughs> and they exert a professional fascination and and a fascination in all of us. So, a, I don't actually, I'm not actually sure such people exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're definitely psychopaths, but it could be that most of what we mean by a psychopath is just a real asshole. I mean, right. and there's not a huge much more than that. Um, and and the, the so you mean the, by like they're not people whose emotions are pretty much turned off or their empathy is completely yeah, turned off. They they don't care about other people. Yeah, they're self centered. They're narcissistic. They're kind of stupid. Uh, I I think and and if you look at it that way, they no longer become fascinating. I think when people imagine psychopaths, um, it's kind of a wish fulfillment. Yeah, and and it's, and, and honestly, I'll, I'll speak for myself, which is I'd love to be. To know what it'd be like to be liberated from my conscience. I think that's the appeal. I think that people imagine what must it like to be unfettered by by a desire to please others. Yes, and this is this freedom. This but, is like some sort of freedom, and it would yeah. make you a sort of superhero. Yeah, it's a like power. It's a power. Yeah, right. No guilt, man. No shame, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be a particularly successful psychopath. Well, uh, oh, don't, don't, as successful don't, as you are now. Yeah, don't, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> uh, you, you know, there's another interesting question whether any of the psychopaths in the movie are actually psychopaths because they all care about something deeply, right? The yeah. Christopher Walken character cares deeply for his daughter. Sam Rockwell character cares very much about his friendship with the main character, the Colin Farrell character. And then even Woody Harrelson just loves that Shih Tzu. Right. That is yeah. the really like the MacGuffin in the movie is that Shih Tzu. That's a good – that's a good – example of paul's point that these people aren't that interesting because when we whenever you see hollywood try to write a psychopath like a you know dexter or something if you can't maintain that right you need them to care about something or else they are just not you know they're not a character right so so dexter is a perfect example of somebody who's an amazing engaging character precisely because he's not a psychopath in any regard he's this caring guy who kills bad people (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know (laughs) He's Batman. He's Batman. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sherlock, uh, too, is a similar kind of idea. Right. Yeah. I once went to a zoo that had only one animal. It was a shit zoo. (laughs) Is that a line from the movie? I don't remember. No. (laughs) I've never heard that. I like that. That's that's good. Um, Two movies by Steve Martin, one after the other, both directed by Carl Reiner, a year apart, both about mind-body dualism. Uh, all of me, yeah. Uh, where where he yeah. ends up sharing his body with Lily Tomlin, who is the soul of Lily Tomlin, and the better movie, which I want to make my choice, The Man of Two Brains, which is about this this scientist, which has a who has a comical name I forget, who um, who basically ends up married to this 
beautiful woman who is Kathleen horrible. Turner. Kat, yeah, Kathleen Turner. Yeah. And and she's and she's horrible. She's sadistic, she's lying, she's manipulative, and everything. At the same time, he falls in love with a brain, a female brain who he communicates telepathically with. And misadventures happen, and the plot's very complicated. But the <laughs> idea is, sooner or later, the brain ends up in, in, into the, in the beautiful woman's body. Yeah. And, you know, and I think about it now, and kind of reread the summary, and there's probably something faintly misogynist about it, uh, <laughs> as, as with most movies made, well, ever. Um, but in some way, another way, a very sweet movie. Because the theme of it is that what makes somebody beautiful isn't their body, it's their, their mental life. It's the contents, of, you know. And that idea alone is what keeps Tamler going. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will like me for my mental life. We're not going to go mind. back to the prison rape discussion, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we haven't really picked up that theme in like yeah. 80 episodes. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if, if, if that's my hope, like people are going to like me for my personality, then I'm completely fucked. I'd be better off <laughs> them liking me for my look. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I really like both those movies, and and I actually probably like all of me a little better. Uh, oh, yeah. But I put it on a list, an earlier list about personal identity. So, oh, okay. but they're both very sweet. You know, Steve Martin can play this that character really well as well. That kind of a kind of innocent. You know, even when he's not, he has that sort of Will Ferrell like innocence, but just a little more sophisticated version of it. That's right. They're both right. rather gentle, romantic <laughs> movies. Yeah. You know, I don't. I think I've. If I saw them, I don't remember seeing them. But. The Jerk is the first Carl. The Ryder, Jerk, is, I think, is, that's, is it? That holds up so well. That's a yes. great movie. Yes, The Jerk is is a counterexample to my claim that that movies don't hold, hold up very well. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a scene in The Jerk. This is just where oh, I'm remembering now. The guy <laughs> is so happy he gets his name in a phone book. And yeah. he's so delighted. And then the next scene is there's a, a serial killer and he's randomly sorting to the phone book <laughs> right. to find somebody to murder. <laughs> um, I find St- – I, I like Steve Martin, but I find that some people just can't can't stomach him. Like he's really? very – I think – yeah. Here's a philosophical but, question. He redid the Pink Panther movies, which is the closest thing to true sacrilege that I can relate to. You know, like <laughs> – that's to me is about as sacrilegious as anything you can do. This, Does that mean is, I have to like morally not like his earlier movies? If you can still like Woody Allen's movies, I think that you're on good ground. I think that this is a, <laughs> your your statement makes me wonder about um, writing about honor cultures when that's the <laughs> ultimate sacrilege that you can think of. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you failed to grasp. It's a, it's one of the moral foundations, you know. <laughs> that if Peter Sellers has this character, you don't you don't step into that. Yeah, you don't fuck it up. So I want to uh, toss in because it's another '80s comedy, and I don't really actually think there's that much to say other than it's it's kind of funny still, um, <clears throat> but it only has one idea that's worth talking about, and that's trading places. Yeah, um, nature versus nurture. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's. You know, you almost get that explicitly as the 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 bet that the two old guys make. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like which one's going to win, and so this is Eddie Murphy and um, Dan Aykroyd. So they they essentially put you know the the poor black man in the role of the rich white man. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Yeah, um, the bet is it for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. You can't do and that. Is it Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Tom. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's Mr. Skin. A young, a young oh. Tamara. Thomas. <laughs> I love Paul's oh. laugh of recognition. Oh. Mr. Skin is actually referenced in another comedy. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, it, knocked it, up. I, I knocked up, right. Oh, that's Where right. A bunch of guys discussing, we have this tremendously great idea. Like Mr. Skin. It's been done. Yeah, like, so you got uh, to include a link to this when you uh, post this. <laughs> yes, I'll do that. Okay, that's my quick. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they actually do explicitly say one of them just says it's all social conditions and the mm-hmm. other one says, no, it's like yeah. who you are, your, your, your mm-hmm. genetics. It's an anti-behavioral genetics film. Exactly. It's an, an anti-Skinnerian, maybe. Well, horror movies tend to take the other side of it, which is there's many movies with the theme that somebody has to dark due to genetic, due to who the parents really are, mm-hmm. is evil. Yeah, yeah, they're just evil, right? That would be a good list. Philosophical horror movies. Maybe we should do that the next time we do a movie episode. Yeah. Or Coen Brothers movies. We could go through <laughs> That's true. We could just talk about Coen Brothers. Speaking right. of Coen Brothers movies, since you mentioned it, I have a tie for number two. Why am I not surprised? You've had three ties. This yeah. is your third tie. I took but these are very them. thematically connected. Um, Barton Fink, the uh, Coen Brothers movie. movies. And Sullivan's Travels, which I mentioned last week. But they're both about writers and in one case, uh, and Sullivan's Travels, a director who come f- who live fairly privileged lives and want to make art and write about the perspective of the common person, of the, of the common person, people who, who are down and out. I want this picture to be a document. I want to hold a mirror up to life. I want this to be a picture of dignity, a true canvas of the suffering of humanity. But with a little sex. With a little sex in it. How about a nice musical? How can you talk about musicals at a time like this with the world committing suicide, with corpses piling up in the street, with grim death gargling at you from every corner, with people slaughtered like sheep? Maybe they'd like to forget that. Conditions have changed. There isn't any work. There isn't any food. These are troublous times. What do you know about trouble? What do I know about trouble? Yes, what do you know about trouble? What do you mean, what do I know about trouble? Just what I'm saying. You want to make a picture about garbage cans. What do you know about garbage cans? When did you eat your last meal out of one? Well, what's that got to do with it? He's asking you. You want to make an epic about misery. You want to show hungry people sleeping in doorways. The newspaper's around them. You want to grind 10,000 feet of hard luck. And all I'm asking you is, what do you know about hard luck? Yes. What do you mean, what do I know about hard luck? Don't you think I've... What? You have not. I saw the newspapers till I was 20. Then I worked in a shoe store and put myself through law school at night. Where were you at 20? Well, I was in college. When I was 13, I supported three sisters and two brothers and a widowed mother. Where were you at 13? I was in boarding school. I'm sorry. In the case of Sullivan's Travels, uh, it's a more comic take, and he's a much more likable character. In the case of Barton Fink, he's not at all. John Turturro is not at all a likable character. But neither are able to really capture what it is to be deprived of the advantages that they have. Now, what's interesting is, in Sullivan's Travels, the guy makes an honest effort. He realizes that he can't do it and tries to go out and live with just uh, like 15, or I don't know what it is at those times, like $10 in his pocket and just make his way so that he can actually find out, he can actually live that life. Barton Fink just comes out to L.A. to write about the plight of the common person. And the John Goodman character, who is this salesman that he meets, there's, you know, there's a there's a running dynamic between them where John Goodman is trying to tell him stories from his from his life. And John Turturro never listens. Yeah. (laughs) And he's always cutting him off. 
Byron Fink, I think, is the movie that captures the Donald Trump phenomenon. Like here you've had these people who are who have been ignored and not listened to, pandered to in, in much the same way that John Turturro panders to the uh, John Goodman character. And finally, they've just had enough and they exploded. I think one of the ways in which you explode is is by is by attaching yourself to this guy. You know, I think it, as, as an academic this idea of sort of coming from a position of privilege, but imagining yourself as friend of the underprivileged communities is, is something that we all face and don't quite know how to deal with. I think in the case of Sullivan's Travels, it's a much more optimistic take on how to handle that. And in Barton Fink, it's more the we're all going to get fucked. This is how fascism rises strange as it may seem charlie i i guess i write about people like you the average working stiff the common man well ain't that a kick in the head yeah i guess it is but in a way that's exactly the point there's a few people in new york hopefully our numbers are growing who feel we have an opportunity now to forge something real out of everyday experience create a theater for the masses based on a few Simple truths, not on some shop-worn abstractions about drama that don't hold true today if they ever did. I don't guess this means much to you. Hell yeah, I could tell you some stories. And that's the point, that we all have stories. The hopes and dreams of the common man are as noble as those of any king. The stuff of life. Why shouldn't it be the stuff of theater? And, and, it's, and it's a good thing for a comedy to do, because there's a lot of comedies that really ridicule a little guy. That that take put you in in a perspective of somebody of relative privilege, and the running joke is all the rubes going right. around. And you know, one movie we could talk a lot about is Idiocracy. Oh yeah, which is no, I've which never is going seen to be it it's an oh it's another Mike Judge know, movie. Yeah, I mean it, it's, it, yeah. it is one, and this deserves a whole episode, I think, because I just read a, a, a salon discussion which argues it's a pro eugenics movie, which uh, it, which it, which it probably <laughs> is because yeah, it explicitly is. It's a yeah. It's at least a um, right. If eugenics is intentional breeding, um, idiocracy is unintentional eugenics. Like the, the sort of if you leave it, if you leave it as it is, yes. this is this is the selective breeding that will occur. And so you know, it, it, it's it's interesting, but yeah. but Barton Fink goes very much against that trend, and uh, and and you know, in some way, inverts things in a way which is really striking. As the Cohen brothers are wont to do, and and you know that character, you know who who then imagines that he's helping the working person. That he points to his head. He's like, "This is, <laughs> this is, or, or this is my uniform. This is how I serve the common man." Pointing to his head. That just seems to like f- capture many philosophers and academics in general. Is this idea yeah. of we're using our head to help people, and then it's not always clear that we are. Right. So this is going to have to be a top four episode. So, <laughs> or, no, or I, I can we can whip through our number ones. Okay, uh, let's quickly. I can just uh, mine is being there. Uh, Peter Sellers film. Yep, I, I haven't seen it. You're looking totally like okay. Uh, the no, idea no. is it, it's a one joke film. Uh, <laughs> there's this innocent character played by Peter Sellers who ends up being launched into the world of Washington, and he's an, he's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. 
But he says these banal statements to people, and they take him as a genius, as a sage. So it's, it's like, like being a professor. Exactly. It's like a- <laughs> so it's basically a semantics movie, um, yeah. you know, where on the one hand, it's something about language. Like he says stuff. He's a gardener. So he says he's asked about the political situation. He says there will be growth in the spring. And CNN commentators and Fox commentators, my God, what's he saying? And is this a commentary on this? But also more generally, it's a social psych thing where it says that how we project what we want to see into people. Right. Other people are a a Rorschach. And it has this classic ending, which is mocking the viewer. So I got to say what the ending is. He's walking away and he walks to a pond and then he starts to walk away and he's walking on water. Yeah. <laughs> and then the camera the camera zooms in and we see he's just walking on stones that are in the water. But but you realize oh, you fell nice. for the same thing right. that people have been doing the whole movie. And that was just genius. That's very nice. Yeah, it's yeah. a very good movie. And um and it's also has a, a heart to it too. It's not a it's a gimmick, yes. but the, but there's a lot of heart to the gimmick. No. David um, so my last one is just going to be Princess Bride. I think we just another one where we have to talk about it. And, and it's not particularly deep. It's just sort of the deepest thing is the pursuit of revenge that's singular yeah. in one character, right? It's the, my name is Ingo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepares for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then yes, afterwards, so. he says, I don't know what to do with my life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's in that, it's in that you see him singularly pursuing revenge and then is just completely. <laughs> done when it's when it happens he doesn't know what to do that's right i was 11 years old when i was strong enough i dedicated my life to the study of fencing so the next time we meet i will not fail i will go up to the six-fingered man and say hello my name is Inigo montoya you killed my father Prepare to die. Tamler, we have a cover for your book. We also have a cover to A Very Bad Wizard Part 2, starring Paul Bloom. Yes. Is it a picture of me? Uh, no. It's no. a picture of Dorothy. You <laughs> look know. a little like... Uh, like Dorothy. The Tin Man. But, uh, <laughs> 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 all right. My number one... I, 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 first of all, I can't believe that you didn't have a Woody Allen movie on uh, there, uh, Paul. But uh, mine is i of all the woody allen movies um i I chose purple rose of cairo Um, oh that's clever yeah that's a really really good movie probably a lot of our listeners haven't seen it and honestly i was thinking about it it sort of popped in my head and it really sort of works to me it is it it has a lot of the themes of the robert nozick experience machine thought experiment because the gimmick of that movie is that it's the Depression era and Mia Farrow goes to the movies all the time to escape into the dream of the movies. And, you know, there were all these movies about uh, really rich people going to the Copacabana. And meanwhile, you know, everybody is down and out, not working. She has kind of an abusive husband, Danny Aiello. And then one of the characters, the, the most good hearted, sweet character, comes out, comes out of the screen and starts a kind of romance with the Mia Farrow character. And there's this, and, and, and you know, there's a lot of comedy. Now all the people on the screen are just, they don't know what to do. They can't finish the movie because the, the main character is gone or one of the main characters is gone. 
<laughs> there's a lot of dispute over whether he's the main character or not. Where the interesting philosophy comes in is, so then the actor who's playing that character gets involved. So there's the actor, and then there's the character, and they're both played by Jeff Daniels in a great performance, another one of those kind of innocent... Yeah, she yeah, has to true. make a choice at the end to go with either the actor or the character. And the, the, the character is this beautiful, sweet person. The actor is clearly a little more cynical, a little more career-oriented. And the, the char- she ends up, well, at the risk of... Uh, I won't spoil it. I'll just say she's very tempted to go with the, uh, with the re- actor just because he's real. So it's ah. like the experience machine. It's like even when you have this fantasy and even when it's perfect, it's everything that you wanted, it's... The fact that it's not real actually is important. It has value. And it has a kind of a twist because the rea- you don't really know what you don't really know what she should have done at the end. And I don't think you you're confident that she made the right choice. So that's, you know, I think it really is about the sort of the attractions of of fantasy but also the attractions of authenticity even when it doesn't give you the same kind of pleasure nice i might Great. actually watch that yeah thanks hey thank, paul. You have thank you for having me on yeah thanks, thanks paul